Hey friends, it's Mark James and it's Wednesday the 8th of March. Put your hand up if you did not expect this episode to drop today. Be honest, if you have got your hand up now, you are joining me. I've got my hand up as well. I didn't think I was going to do an episode today. Uh, Not because I didn't want to, I do want to and I want to do it every Wednesday like I've been planning to get back on form and this will be the first week I've delivered on time in a little while. But um, I'm just not well. Do you remember last week I had a, in fact, this is the second time I've restarted this podcast because I just recorded a minute and I got so phlegmy and coffee that I couldn't uh, continue. But Joshua's had a cough for about two weeks and I've picked it up now too. Do you remember last week I said I burnt my esophagus with a hot sausage? Well, it's kind of stemmed from that. I felt a bit weird, but things have been okay. And then... Suddenly, the last few days, maybe four or five days ago, I had a pretty bad toothache. And that toothache got worse and worse. And it was, oh, it was unbelievable. I was drinking like hot tea and kind of just leaving that on the area, the hot tea, because it was making it feel soothed. Took a couple of painkillers, which is unusual for me. But then it went away. But unfortunately, I prodded it quite a bit with... um, a toothpick to try and just make sure that there was nothing that was causing my gum to flare up. I ended up giving myself a bit of an abscess. Now, I know that the received wisdom online, because I googled it, is that you should never burst an abscess. Apparently, it's the one thing one must never do. And apparently, it requires uh, dental treatment. But I'm not registered with a dentist on the NHS, which means that that's the one type of healthcare that I would have to pay for. And so I thought... I'll just give it a couple of days and see if it goes away. Just make sure I don't, um, you know, leave any anything on it. <clears throat> the day before it flared up, I'll be honest, I ate an Easter egg in bed. And I didn't go downstairs and brush my teeth before sleeping or anything. So I basically had a sugary thing before bed. And I guess that sugar just lived in my mouth. This is minging, in it? I don't like this sort of talk. But I'm guessing that's what made it flare up. I had um, an Easter egg and I had some of those amazing cookies Sarah was making. And so that probably did not help. And then I just made sure I kept it double clean, used uh, mouthwash constantly, mouthwash before bed and everything, just, you know, really made sure I kept it okay. And after two days, I haven't had any pain at all since the day before yesterday, but even now I can feel with my tongue that there is a very, very slight sort of pad of raised gum, the tiniest amount, so small as to be almost unnoticeable, but the tongue is incredibly sensitive, isn't it? I mean, when I try to feel it with my finger, I'd have to be honest and say I can't really, uh, I can't really detect it with my finger. But with my tongue, I'm aware, but there's no pain and the tooth doesn't hurt. So I think it's just basically going to go away on its own, which is good. But the rest of this illness, the chest infection, at least I assume that's what it is. I've been concerned because I've had quite a salty taste in my mouth and I googled salty taste in the mouth and that brought up loads of results. And the results, thankfully, because, you know, I'm always panicked now, don't you, about cancer? I mentioned that before. Thankfully, none of the results were to do with... um, that but there was one that was like oh it might be the presence of blood in your gum or maybe if you've had a a a cavity or a tooth infection or something like that maybe it's that so I thought okay it could well be that and it might be but I was a bit scared to google because I didn't want to get some horrible result that I knew would set off my hypochondria and put me into a spin because mentally I've not been hugely healthy recently and I've been a bit all over the place with regards to um sort of just staying on top of things, 
physically and psychologically and a bit lost with the fact that, you know, there was a point when I looked at the diary and I was like, okay, I've got five months to get everything together. And now the gigs really do start on Monday. I'm doing the West End on Saturday and then the proper tour gigs start on Monday. And it's kind of like a week on, a week off, a week on, a week off. And then we start really. But um, it's still a big week from Monday, four holiday parks in a row, just to start getting myself back on form and feeling good again. And Everything just sets me off. I'm just so easily triggered towards being stressed out. And it's so silly. It's so pointless and so silly. And I know it is. And so today I Googled the salty taste in my mouth along with a cough. And it said you could have pneumonia, bronchitis. I mean, not things that I think will kill me. But, you know, it pointed to the idea that you could just have a chest infection. You could have a mucusy, phlegmy chest infection cough. And... I'm kind of buoyed by the fact that Joshua has had it too. And the fact that he's had it too means it's probably just a cough that I've caught from him. So I'm not that stressed now. As soon as I can put some logic together. But if you Google salty taste in the mouth along with cough, it does say that if you have like a white, thick, mucusy phlegm, which I guess you could say mine is like that, then it's probably just a bit of phlegm from your chest and, you know stay safe it'll go away so that's my plan just going to stay safe and wait for it to go away and tonight I'm going to have a very much earlier night not necessarily early sleeping but early into bed I told Sarah as soon as we finish as soon as I finish recording this podcast I want to be in bed by like quarter past nine tonight which is 45 minutes away from now I'd quite love to be in bed just chilling watching a bit of tv and staying out of trouble. Sarah's been away for a day and a half because she had um national conference with the company that she works for, the parent company that her uh, watch store, jewellery store is owned by, had their big national conference. So she went to that. It was at Alton Towers, the theme park. So that was good. So I was in bed by myself last night and it was quite strange because the dog was restless because he wanted to know where Sarah was clearly. And he was like up and down all night and he kept going into Sarah's little room, seeing if she was in there and going downstairs and coming back up. And he was just kind of searching the house for her. And I was very, very cold in bed last night. And typically what I do is I put my lower back against Sarah's ass in bed and Sarah's ass, I always find, is quite warm. So even if she's cold, you know, the outside of her butt is warm. And so I put my back against it and that keeps me warm. And uh, it wasn't there. And I tried to replace Sarah with the dog um, in so much as that I put my lower back against the dog. But <laughs> it didn't really work because the dog did not stay still. The dog wanted to be in my front to get warm himself. So... I told him he's very selfish and that he needed to, you know, stay where he was to keep my lower back warm. But he wasn't having it. So that was last night in bed. I've been told off by Sarah, by the way. She told me before I came upstairs, don't talk about your shit. I'm sure your shit is very interesting, but everybody knows how you wipe your ass. <laughs> she actually said that to me. She said, everybody who listens to the podcast knows how you wipe your ass. So don't talk about it this week, yeah? In case you don't know, I open my left butt cheek with my left hand and I use my right hand to get right into the crevice. Anyway, she also said, when you have a drink, you do this really annoying thing. I didn't think it was annoying. Here's what it, here's what it would sound like if I didn't do the annoying thing. I'm just going to have a drink. 
That's what it would sound like. There's a sort of dead air, isn't there? There's a moment. She says that I put in a little noise, which is like I'm appreciating the drink, but I'm not. I'm letting you know that I'm still there. Dead air. I don't want the, the emergency tape to kick in, which is what happens on radio. If you leave dead air for too long on radio, the emergency tape kicks in and, you know, adverts or something will come on or some pre-recorded programming. So I do this. Here's me taking a drink in the thing that annoys Sarah. Mmm. So, <laughs> I can see how that would be annoying if I do it a hundred times a podcast. But she doesn't like the noise. She is not a fan of the little mmm after I've taken a drink. So she told me, stop doing that noise. That noise is banned from now on. There's a third thing as well that annoys her, but she couldn't remember what it was before I came upstairs. Um, I just looked in the chat between Sarah and I on Messenger to see if she'd remembered what it was. But uh, I'm going to message her now. So this is funny. Sarah's about to read this message. You remember what the other other annoying thing I do is I am talking about it now. But she always listens every week, which, to be fair, for a wife and a husband is a remarkable amount of support. I mean, to listen to a podcast that your husband makes when you live with him and... You know all the stories already. I do try to um, hold off from telling her some stuff. If I know it's going to be good and if it's going to be in the podcast, I do think to myself like, oh, don't tell Sarah that because then she'll hear it in the podcast for the first time. But, you know, the nights are long and you need to find stuff to talk about. So I tend to keep her updated on a day-by-day basis. I've just asked her, do you remember? Well, you heard me ask the question. And she's typing and... She's not a slow typer by any stretch. And she's been typing, talk about wiping arse, noise after drinking, Googling. They're the three three things. What's really funny is, I was just about to say before she typed, she doesn't like it when I Google stuff. But I need that. I need that sometimes. I'm talking about a thing and I don't know the answer. I don't want to talk shit. And then, because she doesn't know how many messages I get. If I get stuff wrong, you all message me, don't you? Which I love, by the way. I've had loads of messages this week from people saying that the podcast has really helped them out or, you know, that it's um, been a good motivator or it's a nice thing for, I have someone who listens to the podcast while they ski. It's just great. So I love it when you all message me. But when I say stuff wrong without Googling, oh, and over explaining simple stuff, we get the point. God, she's really laying into me. Jesus Christ. Leave me alone. <laughs> she's just put, we are not stupid. She's joined in with you then. We used to be me and her, but now we is you and her, apparently. I used to be on her team, but apparently now she's on yours. So there you go. I just put Jesus Christ, leave me alone. So anyway, um, I'm not well, but I'll get there. I think it's all going to be I think it's all going to be okay. Just need a few days of feeling normal. This weekend is big as well. Like I said, it's the West End for the first time. First ever West End debut. It's not like a massive show in a huge Broadway theatre or anything. But it is in the Leicester Square Theatre and it is sold out. And it is with some brilliant magicians. And it is absolutely uh, performed in the West End credit. Which I will be adding to every single bit of um, publicity I can, as seen in London's West End. You bloody better believe it. What's the point in doing stuff if you can't say that? 
I've also confirmed the Thlandidno Victorian Festival, and I've also confirmed to perform and lecture at the Scottish Association of Magicians Convention, which is coming up at the end of April too. So there's a load of different stuff flying in, which is pretty good. Loads of little opportunities and stuff since I talked about my weekends being free. So I'm going to do a big post about that soon on Facebook and say, you know, but still loads more weekends left. Let's do something exciting. I've also confirmed a local ticketed show. I better add this to the notes somewhere. Hold on. Uh, So I don't forget. Okay, so let's get into the notes. Talk about how you improve the presenting. Oh, yeah, so I I mentioned this last week, didn't I? Because I've got all these notes. Things that I said to the presenters. So if you are a presenter or you are someone who is invested in the arts or maybe you are a magician too, as a few magicians who listen to this, or maybe you know me from Holiday Parks and you're a presenter or anything. If you've any interest in what I think makes for a good presenter, I'll basically just run you through my notes. And here they are. Number one, start caring whether or not the audience are actually watching. If you're on stage and 80% of the room are chatting, then do something else, reconfigure, Come off, put some music on, go back on, change the tone, get the house lights up, get some kids on stage, get out into the audience, specifically speak to tables on the mic. Do something to change the game, because if you're just talking to the audience and they're talking to each other, you're not talking to anybody. And a lot of poor presenters, what they do when they find that the adults don't give a fuck about what they're saying is they start to just focus on the kids and they present direct to the kids. But the kids don't care what's happening. They'd be just as happy if you put music on. So change the stakes, do something different. Um, Hey everyone, it's Name. Whenever you do announcements on the mic from the DJ box, instead of doing this little lead-in, so okay guys, coming up next, start with, hey everyone, it's Sophie, just to let you know, and then get the audience used to the sound of your voice accompanied by your name, so they know who you are after a couple of days of the holiday. That will make your life so much easier. Teach yourself Something, teach the audience something about you every time you go on stage, a little funny fact or something that's really, really specific to you. Don't be afraid to talk about your own loves and interests because rather than being alienating, when you talk about the very, very specific things that you like, rather than alienating people, you draw them in because the few people who are into that too will be blown away to find out that you're into that very specific thing. And the people who aren't will still enjoy finding that thing out about you because they're into very specific stuff too. So don't be afraid to talk about yourself. Let them get used to it. Um, Be yourself. It's your personality that got you whatever gigs and jobs you're doing. So don't give it up when you get there. Be yourself. Be unique. Avoid saying things that you've heard other performers or presenters say. You want to stand out, not be part of that crowd. Uh, Use your own voice. Speak in the voice that you speak with off stage. There's nothing worse than a terrible presenter voice. And a microphone voice, typically at holiday parks and stuff or any place, is like, okay, guys, just to let you know that the disco is about... It's awful. Just use your own voice. Um, That's a massive one. Slow down, you are absolutely going too fast. And also, great presentation is a conversation, not a monologue. So, you know, speak from the heart, leave gaps for the audience to reply, even if they don't do it out loud, and try and have a conversation. A good way to work out 
if what you're saying and doing is right or wrong, is to imagine removing the microphone and talking to another human being face to face in the exact way that you are now. And if you look like a mental case, <laughs> if you spoke to someone like that across the deli counter in your local supermarket, then you're probably not doing it right. There is a sort of elevated effort required to present on stage, but that's only in the beginning. Once you've got the audience's attention, nothing holds them better than being normal again. If you can get away with it, just try and get as close to being normal again as you can. Um, and then, I mean, that's only a quarter of the note. So actually, I've decided I don't want to bore you with it all day. But uh, a couple of little things. Oof, learn the names of people you bring on stage. It's very respectful. Make the audience the star, not yourself, especially when you get kids on stage. Don't constantly ask for affirmations like applause, whoops and cheers. It's really fake and it doesn't mean the audience like you. It means they're politely responding to the thing that you've asked for. Get on with it. For fuck's sake, get on with it. That was a big one. Be present. This is a great tip that Josh J says. When it Before you go on stage, remember that as a magician, there is someone in that audience that has never seen a magic show before. And there is also someone who is about to see their very last magic show. And if you go out and you perform for those two people, then you'll be okay. You know, put the care and attention and love in it that you would put in if you knew you were performing for someone for the, their first ever time seeing a magician or their last ever time. You know, go and do it for them two people. That's a great rule of thumb. I just had a drink and I didn't make that noise. I must be growing. Um... There is nothing else on this list that's specifically going to be helpful to anybody else. Because um, most of these things are specific to etiquette in holiday parks and how to deal with that as a situation. Just to give you an example, don't ever make jokes. Don't make in-jokes because it excludes the audience. And don't make jokes about the physical appearance of your teammates. So if someone on your team is overweight and they appear. Now, I, I honestly believe nobody likes jokes about their weight, although plenty of overweight people make you think that they do by laughing them off. And trust me, I've been in that situation. Ever since I sort of turned 20, 20, 20 odd, I've always been very, very careful to not give permission to that. When people make a joke about you being overweight, if you laugh about it and go, oh, I know, yeah, and you join in, then that will become the joke that's always made about you. And, and I've seen it happen. I don't do it. If someone makes a joke like that about me, I just go, let's not do that. <laughs> I don't say that's not okay. I don't say, you know, but I make it clear that without ruining the atmosphere, that I get what you're trying to do. I like you enough to let it fly. Let's not do it again. And I just say, don't do that. And then we'll and then carry straight on with the conversation. They know it wasn't cool and that I'm not going to put up with it. So my rule is don't make jokes about the physical appearance of your teammates ever, because whatever you say about one of them, you're also saying about somebody in the audience. You know, if you call somebody on stage fat, there are fat people in the audience. If you call someone specky four eyes, there are people wearing glasses in the audience. You know, all of the th uh, physical attributes that your teammates have, people in the audience have them too. And I've chosen two things there because I've been and am both of those things. So I feel I can sort of make those jokes. But, you know, don't, don't make those jokes about your teammates. The audience want to know 
I especially know as an actor visiting act going in to do shows, I know that the audience want to know that I am friends with and know the team personally at the place I'm going. If it's a cruise ship or, you know, a holiday park or whatever, I think the audience like it when they know that I'm friendly with the stage manager or the tech or the team who are residents. But... I also would never make personal jokes about them. I'll do something that will let the audience know that I know them, but I wouldn't make personal jokes about them. So it's little things like that, but they're not really relevant to the rest of this chat. So I'm going to leave them out. But um, that's kind of the talk that I did at that presenting thing that I did last week when I went to improve, help teach presenting for a big holiday company. I did a presentation about all of those things and I talked about loads of other points <clears throat> we also did like Q&A, we did problem solving, we did a mix of um, where a scenario was set up and I talked about how to navigate that scenario or tips for how to get around that situation and there were things like say a problem crops up, how do you deal with a very serious technical problem in front of the audience and my answer was just be honest, just tell them something's broken, hey guys, <laughs> hey friends, something has broken we are going to fix it. I think it might only take 30 seconds, so I'm going to stay out here. Let's chat. Or oh, I think it's going to take a couple of minutes, so we'll be back then. Don't go anywhere. Just handle it with humility and honesty. Try and get some laughs out of it if you can and fix it and then carry on as if it never happened. Because no point in referencing it all night. Just once you're over it, you're over it. So carry on. So that's what I did. Uh, next note. Okay, Lakeland. And oh, yeah, this is a weird one. So it's back at Lakeland for my first gigs, Friday and Saturday. First weekend back doing shows. Friday night I was there and I was on stage at 7.45. Saturday night I was there and I was on stage again at 7.45. Both nights there was a duo on directly after me and then a band straight after them. And I was basically the first thing in the night. The first night was quite strange. There were only 150 or 160 people in the room. They'd kind of split the two nights to be fairly uneven. So the second night was really jam-packed and had like 500 plus people there. But the first one, which was maybe a bit more of a soft opening, was not that busy. And a really weird thing happened where a guy who I think was a little bit drunk came up to me towards the end of the show and started filming me on his phone from the dance floor but also having a go at me about the fact that the water wasn't working properly in his caravan. <laughs> and I sort of handled it. Uh, my, the entertainment manager said to me, you handled that in such a way that it took me quite a long time to realise that things weren't all right. You know, that there was a problem. Because the way that I was mixing, talking to the guy on the mic to keep the room going, and also off the mic to find out if this guy was taking the piss or being serious... The manager said to me, I didn't actually realise till quite far in until you looked over at me and said, can you help me out? That there was a real problem going on. But yeah, the guy sort of had a bit of a go at me, told me there was no water in his caravan or something. Some sort of problem was wrong and he wasn't happy about it. I mean, if out of hundreds of units, there is an occasional problem at the odd one. I think these places do a remarkable job. Considering they're closed for like four or five months over winter and they manage to do all the upkeep and repairs and think about how frequently unused pipes would freeze over the winter and yet they manage to basically keep everything almost perfect all of the time. The occasional thing is going to happen. 
The main problem with this guy is that he was putting his complaint to entirely the wrong person. I'm not sure what he thought I was or if he'd just walked into the room and gone straight for me. But had he been in there for an hour, he'd have seen that I was mainly doing a magic show and not doing a Q&A about problems that happen in a caravan that's been closed for five months. So I said to him off mic, I don't actually work here, you know. <laughs> And also, I was being quite cautious about the fact that he had his camera in my face. So I, I was—I didn't want to end up on a video where I looked really stupid. So I said to him, I, you're telling the wrong person this, mate. I don't actually work here. I'm doing a magic show. Um, and then he, he was quite belligerent. I don't think he... Maybe he'd had a couple of drinks and, you know, that had got the better of him. Who knows? But either way, it was all resolved. The manager guy came over, escorted him from the dance floor, and um, it no longer was my problem. Then I came off stage and said, what was that all about? And the team said, we're not really sure, to be honest. But, hey, at least it's all good. <laughs> so, never mind. The cups and balls routine is nearly ready. I've been really working on the trick. And I'm quite happy with the routining. My tailor has finished the sign and it looks fantastic. I just need to get some slightly bigger balls in all of the imaginable ways. Oh, pardon me. The little baseballs that I've got are just not big enough. They don't, they don't literally do the trick. They're too small to be seen on stage. And so in order to effectively pull off this routine, and there's nothing I like more than effectively pulling off, there is there is the requirement for bigger balls. If I'm going to pull it off, then I need bigger balls. That's what I'm saying. So that's the next thing I'm looking for. I went out driving around town the day before yesterday. Went to Hobbycraft, Poundland, B&M, all the places that typically sell sort of... Um, you know when you get party bags at a kid's birthday party? And they'll usually have in a bit of cake, some sort of key ring... A, a, a blower thing, you know, one of those things that you blow and it makes like the little the little thing unravels and it makes a whistle sound. A party blower. I was talking about parties and I'm saying the blower thing. The party blower. And quite often they also will have in like a little bouncy ball, almost like a, a little rubber bouncy ball, about an inch and a half diameter with hmm, circumference diameter. Circumference is all the way around, isn't it? Diameter is looking at it from its two widest points. So... Oh, God, Dr. Alex is going to be all over me if that's wrong. So um, bouncy balls like that. But I've seen them that look like basketballs, footballs, baseballs, all of that stuff. I want the ones that look like little baseballs. That will really fit what I'm doing. So I went out looking for those and I could not find them anywhere. Very frustrating, but I will find them. And I don't mind being out in the car looking for stuff because one of the things I noticed when I was driving to that gig on Friday in the Lake District, because we're being very cautious about the bills. I mean, we've got the um, we've got the the machine that tells you how much electric and gas you're using. It's actually face down on the floor, plugged in underneath Sarah's bedside table. Because after just a couple of days, I realised that staring at it every few hours to see how much gas and electric we've used kind of saps the joy out of living. So I stopped doing that, but. We have got that thing and it's made us much more cautious about the gas and electric we use. We do try to keep the heating off as much as we can. But God damn, is it ever going to get warm again? It feels like it's been cold now, basically forever. I'm going to look at that. Babe, I'm Googling. I'm sorry. Temperatures this week. Is it ever going to get warm? 
is there a way to quickly switch to Fahrenheit? So right now, it's... Um, what is the coldest month? I mean, geez. Hold on, I'm looking now at the uh, at the temperature. The weather, okay, so two degrees, but that's in Celsius. I'm going to see if I can get the Fahrenheit as well. It's really weird. There doesn't appear to be a way. I suppose because we don't really do it like that here. There's not a way to get um, to switch to Fahrenheit on the BBC Manchester weather. But it's just saying a solid two degrees non-stop. Minus three on Friday, we're looking at. Three on Saturday, eight on Sunday, two on Monday, one on Tuesday. Is it ever going to get warm? When are we going to get back up to like 20s and 30s again? Oh my word, I'm sick of it being cold. And one of the things I realised is that, um, just to put it into perspective, by the way, minus 2C in Farrah, it's going to be like 30 something, isn't it? Oh no, 50, oh no, that's 12, hang on. That's because I put 12. 28, okay, so right now it's 28 degrees Fahrenheit in the UK, which is minus 2 in Celsius. But most of the day today, it's been like two or three, which is 35 Fahrenheit. I knew it was like 35. <coughs> so, yeah, most of the day today, it's been 35 Fahrenheit, which is very, very, very cold. It's horrible. And so, but it's also been like that for weeks and months. I feel like there hasn't really been a warm day. So when I was driving to the gig the other day, I had the heating on in the car because it doesn't really cost anything extra to have the heating on full in the car while you're driving somewhere. And I realise that driving to gigs now is basically the only time I'm ever truly warm for months, probably since November. The only time I've been truly warm is driving to gigs. In four weeks, four and a half weeks, Sarah and I are going to Benidorm. That'll be a little bit warm. That'll be like up in the 20s. Not the high 20s, but the the low to mid 20s. And that'll be the first time I'm really genuinely warm. Not in the car, I think. So I'm hoping we get a little bit of heat between now and then. But God, I'm sick of being cold. Really, it's horrible. Sarah's always felt like this. She always moans about the cold. But it's never bothered me that much. But recently, oh... I can't handle it. I've got a hot water bottle as well, by the way, right now on my back, across my kidneys. I'm just all in bits. So anyway, I was warm in the car on the way to that gig. And I look forward to driving other places so I can be warm again. <laughs> um, those two gigs, by the way, they were sort of... The first gig wasn't brilliant. It was okay, but it wasn't brilliant. But it was tiny little things that I had forgotten over the winter since I last did those venues. I've altered the sensitivity on my microphone and stuff since last winter. And the sensitivity needs to be quite low for these shows. And then you turn it up on the desk and it means that your voice feels very present. You know when someone talks into a microphone properly and they know what they're doing and their voice is like right there. And then you go to karaoke or you see someone who's not very good at giving speeches and they hold the microphone like three metres away from their face. And whenever the person tries to turn it up, it whistles and feeds back. Basically on Friday, that's what was happening to me. But I was wearing a head microphone. So the mic was never more than an inch away from my face, my mouth. But because the sensitivity was set wrong, it wasn't perfect. And then there were other little mistakes in my performance, like um, 
just little bits because there's, you know, tricks I haven't really been doing very frequently. And obviously I've had a little look over them and thought, oh yeah, I know what I'm doing. But then as I would finish the routine, I'd remember a line or two that I forgot to say or just little things that are not there because I haven't been working consistently since sort of beginning of November. So you're always a little bit rusty. On the ship, you don't fall into that because you've got three or four days before you perform where you've got absolutely nothing else to do but think about the show. So you do tend to solidly practice, whereas these, I just kind of went into it. So the first night was pretty good, but the pressure was different because the room was very, very quiet. And then the Saturday, the big night, I was firing on all cylinders and I had, to be fair, a brilliant show. Nothing weird happened. The sound was perfect. The audience were great. I made absolutely no mistakes. Didn't forget any lines. All the tricks worked and I was very happy. So that was good. So they were, But they were night and day, those two gigs. They really were. And then Saturday, I decided before the gig to um, fast. So I walked all day before the show and then I fasted all Saturday and then I walked again when I got home I took the dog for a walk at night and I'd like to do that more but the cold has just got to me I mean I felt okay that day <coughs> it's since then and I felt more ill so maybe I got a bit too much cold in my lungs who knows but I did fast I'll be honest and say I'm still not really ready to talk about my weight right now because, well, firstly, I don't know what it is. I know what it was a week ago or six days ago, but I don't know what it is now because I've had like a bit of half fasting, few walks. It's been very up and down. So I'll be honest and say, I don't know what my weight is, so I can't talk about it. But I don't really want to talk about what my weight was last week either until I get a little bit down from where I'd like to be able to say it's this, but it was that. And here's what I've done. So maybe I'll talk about it next week. We'll see. Uh, but we do have London in between. So, you know, there's going to be some eating Italian food. Um, my friend who is a teacher, whose name I will not mention on the podcast, because I sometimes get in trouble when I do that. She told me that when I said last week that the um, schools are primary and then secondary, I was incorrect. Some areas of the UK still operate a middle school system and she teaches in an area that operates that system. So I'm going to Google. Sorry, babe. How does middle school work? I should have asked her because she would have told me. Uh, how do middle schools work in the UK? Three tier local education authority children begin compulsory education in a first school or lower school, which caters to children up to the age of eight or nine. Then they go to middle school, which is from nine until 13 or 14. And then they go to presumably secondary school or high school. So it's a bit of a mix depending on where you are, on what age you are. But it does seem that the general rule is um, lower school until year four or five, which is um, like... Well, Josh was in year six and he's 11. So year four or five years, like eight or nine. Then middle school up until 13, 14, and then upper school and then sixth form. So that's interesting. Three schools instead of two. It doesn't not make sense either. I mean, changing schools when you're eight or nine into a middle school that will take you up until you're 13. It's interesting because the most difficult part I would have thought of your transition from child to young adult probably happens when you're about 11, 12, because 
you go from sort I mean it's funny today I was scrolling TikTok I made a note of this <laughs> I made a note of this I came across a TikTok and it was a girl and the caption written across her um video of her just sitting there said whatever her name was I can't remember but it also said year 11 sing uh, sorry year 7 that's because you are 11 sorry uh, year 7 single add my instagram and I thought, you're not single. You're 11. You can't be single when you're 11. You're not anything. You're not in the dating game. You're not like searching for the one. You're fucking 11. You're not doing anything. You go to school. You come home. I mean, when I was 11, I recognise, of course, things have changed right now in a way that not only terrifies me, but that I don't necessarily understand. And I suppose I'll find out more and more as Joshua moves through this journey. But Joshua is also 11. And the thought of him saying out loud that he's single is just so unbelievably laughable because the things that he cares about are Lego and watching films and playing Minecraft and computer games and I mean my child is incredibly innocent which is partly by his nature and partly by design you know we don't moderate our language or anything which only affects me because Sarah doesn't really swear anyway but we don't moderate our language around him we don't not talk about difficult subjects we don't shy away from sex or sexuality or pretend things don't exist but he is by nature a very innocent possibly a little naive but also probably not that naive but he knows where the line is of what he should and shouldn't say out loud but the thought of him saying he was single is a joke you're not single you're 11 fuck off <laughs> it did it just annoyed me it's so ridiculous i mean god just be a kid for god's sake be a kid watch telly play in the park go to school come home that's the other thing that annoys me on TikTok. When you are scrolling on TikTok, what's funny is actually you never see boys on TikTok that are like 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. Maybe when they're 15, 16, you see a few, but they're generally like most of them are either Andrew Tate clones who think they have some idea of how the world works or they're like young entrepreneurs who were talking about, I've just ordered this from Amazon. I'm going to sell them on this website for twice as much. That seems to be a bit of a thing. There's a will to kind of be a bit of a businessman, maybe when you're 14 or 15. But you do see a ton of girls of that age, like secondary school age, and they nearly always have a vape in hand. Nearly always. I mean, if you scroll my TikTok, it's basically basketball videos. Um... This guy called Jesse, who is went to prison for some crimes, and he talks about what it's like to be in prison. I watch him a lot. Um, what else is on my TikTok? It's basketball. It's mainly basketball, football. That prisoner guy. Uh, there's this guy, the black belt barrister or something that does like legal stuff, a lot of political stuff. But I guarantee, if ever a girl comes on my TikTok, and they are a school age person, they will always have a vape in their hand. And it just does my head in. Like, why can't kids just stay kids for a bit? Why have they got to be smoking and, well, I know it's not smoking, but vaping and just 
this desperation to be adults. Being a kid is the best part of your life. Being an adult is shite. There's so much horrible responsibility, so much horrific reality, and just different things that you've got to face constantly and worry about and get stressed about and all of that. And even, you know, at times your own mortality. If I could go back to being a kid again, oh my God, just out in the fields playing with my friends, like maybe, maybe I'm over-egging my own childhood innocence. But from what I remember, we basically got the bus to town on a Saturday occasionally. And we and I say occasionally, I mean basically every Saturday. And we all went ice skating at the local leisure centre from like 10 until 1 in the afternoon. Then we'd get the bus home. We'd all get some tea or whatever. And then we'd go out for a big walk. And we'd basically stay out until it was dark. And I used to have to be back in for like 9 or 10 o'clock. And then I'd get back in and I'd go to bed. And that was it. That's on the weekends, of course. But um, and maybe when I was like 14 or 15, we did start experimenting a little bit with drinking alcohol and stuff. But nobody was ever fighting because and certainly nobody was fighting and recording it on their phones. Nobody was ever sending anyone shitty messages and bullying each other. None of my friends were smoking or vaping. I mean, vaping didn't exist. None of my friends were smoking or doing drugs or any of that stuff. We're just totally normal. <clears throat> and that's kind of the life that I would love for Joshua to have, you know, just a bit more normality. I hope when he goes to secondary school, he gets some really cool friends who live near where we live that he just hangs out with, goes out on bikes, doesn't want to wear black tracksuits with those stupid hoods that only show the middle of your face and just be a little dick. Because if he even tries anything like that, I'll just keep him in the house forever. Mm. I'll literally never let him out apart from school until he's an adult. And then he can be his own problem. But by then he'll have changed. But yeah, kids these days, they're just dicks. <laughs> that might be a bit unfair. But to me, the middle school system actually seems like a good idea when I think about it. Because my friend always says that the kids that she teaches are terrific in the, in the main. And maybe when you're 11 or 12 and you're, and you're single... <laughs> <laughs> when you're 11 or 12 and you're going through a huge sort of social, personal, physical, psychological sort of transition of the things that you used to want no longer are that important to you. And the things that you want now are completely different. And the pressures that you put on yourself or that your friend group puts on you and all that sort of stuff. Maybe the time to be going through those changes is not also, when you join a brand new school and suddenly meet 120 other kids that, or 150 or 200 or 400, God knows how big schools are now, um, kids who are going through all the same stuff that you're going through. And maybe if you change schools when you're eight or nine and then you stay at that school through all of those changes until you're 13 or 14 and then you go somewhere else when you know a little bit more about who you are. Maybe that's not a bad idea, actually. Maybe the middle school system is a win. And possibly having different ranges of kids in schools together creates a more harmonious environment. I don't know. I'm going to ask my friend more about that. But it is interesting. I wonder if those things turn out to be true. I mean, she listens to this podcast, so I'm hoping. Please just tell me if I'm right or wrong. Um, what else have I done? So I have... 
booked a show at a local place. At last, I've gone out and done something. I made a thing happen. Sarah was looking on a phone the other day and she came across an article for a local bar which is opening. It's called The Stage Door and it's basically a theatre-themed bar, cocktail bar, but they do have a little performance space and the people who own it also own a lighting company and they've done a really nice job. It's got like a 1920s speakeasy vibe. It's super cool. It's really nicely decorated. It's got brilliant lights, great cocktails and the people who run it turn out to be really nice. So Sarah said you should approach them about putting a show on in there trying to get your own night going and I thought well it's not the sort of thing I typically do but I did say I wanted to do something like that I should be more proactive and I'd like to I'd like to try and do it so I sent them a message and I didn't get a reply the guy never read it it was like on his personal Facebook I'm guessing they're not big on social media which you know I suppose we'll have to change if they're going to launch any sort of successful business but um it didn't reply. And then I tried again, just sent a little follow up, nothing. And then I messaged the actual page just saying, you know, of the business instead, because I messaged the owner saying, oh, I'd like to speak to this guy. I've sent a message and he said, oh, it is me. How can I help? And so I forwarded the message from the original thing. And he said, well, would you like to come down and meet me and have a look at the place and see what you think? So I did. I went down there during the day the other day. I met him. I met his son who makes the cocktails. I met another chap who I think is possibly the bar's manager. And um, the three of them were really nice. And they really liked my ideas of what I want to do. And we had a great meeting and I booked something in. So if you listen to this and you live in the Preston area, there's going to be a public show in April, the middle of April on a Sunday evening. I'll be posting about it when it's all sorted out and the poster's done, but it is absolutely happening. And that's exciting. So I made a thing happen and I'm going to get a cocktail named after me and I'm going to put the show on. and It's going to be brilliant. So this is the time when you find out if all those people who said, oh, you never perform locally. If you ever did something local, I'd come and see, it, you know, this is the time when you find out if those people were full of shit or if they meant it. Because getting a ticket to see you do a full hour show in a small intimate venue where they can see every single thing you're doing. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that for watching a magic show. It really is a perfect venue for it. So hopefully they will come and I'll put on a brilliant show and it'll be really good. That would be amazing. Speaking of weird venues, I've just found out that some venues are booked towards the end of uh, the beginning of April. Sorry, that they do not have screens or Macs or QLab or anything like that. So I'm working on a lot of different material right now to work in the multiple different styles and types of venues that I'm now going to be faced with this year since I've opened myself up to the idea of doing loads of different things instead of doing the same thing every night in a row. So it's going to be interesting. Um, yeah. Um, two days ago, this is funny, Sarah came home from work and she'd walked home with Joshua. He'd been in town playing a game at Belong, the gaming place, and they both walked home together. And Sarah said, as it's still light, why don't you go out into the yard and pick up the dog's poo? Because we only pick up the dog's poo every two or three days because he doesn't have huge poos and he probably goes for poo once or twice a day. So there's usually after three days, you know, eight to 10 little poos out there that need picking up. But you don't go out there every time because God, that'd be annoying and it's cold and you have to put your shoes on and stuff. So just every few days, go out and pick up all the poo, get it in tissue paper, you know, as, as little 
paper as possible, get it flushed down the toilet, or if we're putting the bins out, get it in a bag, get the bin bag tied, put that bin out in the outside bin, whatever. So <coughs> he goes out to pick up the poo. And Sarah and I are alone in the kitchen for a couple of minutes. I've been alone all day. So I decide I'm going to get a little bit amorous with Sarah. So I slip a kiss on her. I put my arm around her. I give her a little squeeze and I tell her she looks beautiful. And just as I go to kiss her properly with a little bit more sort of uh, passion, Joshua shouts from the garden, Oh, there's little bits of sweet corn in this one. <laughs> He didn't know there was a slight chance that Sarah was about to say, because sometimes when I get a little bit frisky like that, she'll go, OK, let's do this later. You know, not now in the kitchen, but later. If you ask me, that means if you ask me again later, there's a very, very solid chance I'm going to say yes. OK, so she was I could feel it in the air. She was just about to go, OK, later. And Joshua shouted, uh, there's bits of sweet corn in this one. And Sarah and I both laughed and... That was the moment over. So thanks, kid. If that had happened, you know, before you were born, you might not be here. But never mind. Um, small balls for cups. Talked about that already. Oh, yeah. Fight. So not many things left to talk about. Here's only a couple. Um, I saw a fight today in town. It's quite interesting. I was walking along and I heard a bit of a commotion and I looked and basically there were two guys and a woman. But they they all look the same. And when I say they look the same, what I mean is they all look like smackheads. They all look like they were on heroin. They all had gaunt faces. They were all wearing black tracksuits and, you know, the sort of clothes that you tend to find on the exact sort of person that I'm on about. I don't want to stereotype anyone, but if you live in the UK, you know what I mean. And the man and the woman, or one of the men and the woman, were fighting over the ownership of a bicycle. Very suddenly, they were fighting over a bicycle. And the woman found herself lying on the ground. The guy didn't throw her on the ground or push her or anything like that. But she was holding onto the bike and he was trying to pull the bike away. And she was ever so slightly getting dragged along the floor. And I made the decision almost immediately that I was going to get involved. <laughs> when I said that to Sarah, she went, why? Why would you do that? And she's absolutely right. But then what happened is another woman came out of the bank and she got involved first. And I instantly thought, OK, there are two men in this situation and one woman. And now another woman has come and got involved from the outset. And this woman was not taking any shit. OK, she was quite commanding of the situation. She'd clearly been in this situation before somehow mediating arguments or whatever. It was funny because when the police came, I heard her say that she's now retired. So I don't know if she meant retired from the police force, but she handled this situation with aplomb. So I stayed close. I crossed the road. And when I say the road, in town, the road is basically only wide enough for a single car to get down because it's down through the main shopping street and it's a one-way system. And after 11 o'clock in the morning, cars are not allowed down it. Only the bus is allowed down it. So it's a very thin road. So when I say I was on the other side of the road, I was close. And the reason I decided to not get involved, but also hang close, is that as a man... Entering a situation like that with two other men already, there's a chance that the situation can actually spiral and... 
become aggressive. Because if I try to mediate and am physically holding this guy back from taking the bike, then it's not a great look. And all, and I don't want to be in someone's video of that for a start because, you know, people do tend to just stop and film. But also, I couldn't just walk past because I would feel... I would hate it if I was in a situation and people just walked past and didn't help. So I thought, I need to feel like I'm helping, but also I don't want to escalate the situation by taking my... the fact that I'm a man into it and potentially causing these men's egos to be pricked. And I don't know if it's important to the story... But the three first protagonists are all white. And the woman who gets involved is black. And I don't know if that sort of altered the chemistry of the situation too. But all I can say is that this fairly commanding, um, I mean, badass, she, this woman was fierce. She didn't shout at anyone. She told the guy to stop shouting. She just calmed the fuck out of this situation and she held onto the bike and she said this is what's going to happen the police have been called nobody's taking this bike not you not her i'm holding on to it and it'll all get sorted out when they get here so you don't shout at her definitely don't shout at me and let's all just wait it out yeah and i thought to her fair play but i also am aware of the phrase the enemy of my enemy is my friend and even though she'd quelled the situation, I realised, and I was correct, that there would be a point where the guy and the woman, who I was fairly certain, based on the animosity between them, but the lack of physicality of, you know, he, he never, like, got... Apart from grabbing the bike, he never got physical with a woman. And he kind of whacked her arm with his hat at one point. But I was fairly certain that they were romantically involved. I thought, this this is a couple who've had a fallout. And so, as soon as they made it up, especially with the idea that the police were going to come, they would then turn on this woman, and they would then gang up together. Because, you know, you've seen this happen a million times. Say a couple are having a row, and a guy goes over and starts on the guy and says, why don't you leave this woman alone? Before you know it, the woman is suddenly battering the mediator, trying to, you know, attack the innocent bystander. So I was quite aware of that as well. So I just sat there on the little stump on the other side of the road. And I thought, I'll observe this situation without getting involved. But if at any point they do turn on this woman, I'm going to jump in and say, listen, I've been watching this whole thing. Everyone calm down, yada, yada, yada. And that started to happen where he said, they were pretending, he was going like, I don't know this woman, she's crazy, she's trying to steal my bike, and all that. And then she was going, it's not your bike, you know it's my bike, and all. And it was quite clearly, to be fair, it was clearly his bike. He knew everything about it, she didn't know anything about it, and when she was trying to talk, she was just spaced out. And at one point he went, oh, for fuck's sake, Karen, and she was genuinely called Karen, by the way, for fuck's sake, Karen, just admit it's my bike, and she went, all right, yeah, it is your bike, and she went, but why have you done this, and he went, it's not me, you're the one who's ended it, you're the one who's ruined everything, and I thought straight, well, this is clearly 
a couple who've had a row. Like, I was everything I thought would happen is what happened. And then they did start to gang up a little bit. So I stood up, but then the sound of police sirens wailed. And the police van came down the middle of the street. And just as I was thinking, right, these guys are going to pull up and that'll be the situation. And everything at that point got very silent and calm. Everyone was on their best behaviour. Those police drove straight through the middle of town and straight back out of town again. And it almost made quite a few people around laugh because suddenly this situation kicked off again. You know that bit in stories, in films, where someone's being chased? It happens in Blues Brothers, it happens in loads of films, where they're in like a crazy chase, being chased by villains, and then they get into a lift, an elevator, and the door shuts, and for the like 30 seconds that it takes to get to the top floor, there's just complete serenity and calm, and like a little bit of elevator music is playing. It was sort of a bit like that. And then they started to argue again, but they'd clearly worked it out. And then she's going to the guy, look, this woman can't stop you from taking the bike. It's your bike. Just take your bike and let's go. And then the woman who'd got into the altercation in the beginning, the woman who was helping them out, she went, it's not as simple as that. Nobody's taking the bike anywhere. We're waiting for the police and this is getting sorted properly. Not Even if you two have made up and all that, she's gone, I don't care. We're waiting until the police get here. And I was thinking, oh God, if I was you, I'd have just said, fuck the perrier. There's no point in arguing with smackheads for a start, but also getting in the middle of their rows because they could have an absolute blazer today and you think you've helped them. And then tonight, they're just back in bed together or tomorrow they're in bed together going, God, that was funny yesterday, wasn't it? Well, that big row in town. They probably are doing stuff like that every five minutes and you getting in the middle of it is fairly pointless. But I was glad that she did and I was going to do it. So you sort of can't resist. If it's in you to be that sort of person, I hate seeing anyone get bullied. I can't bear it. So uh, she did the right thing. But as soon as they made it up and sort of started finding their own way, I'd have said, oh, you know what? Fuck the perrier. I'm bailing. Do whatever you want with this bike. I don't give a shit. And I'd have got out of there. But, you know, never mind. <coughs> and then the police actually did come. And um, they calmed everything down. And they took multiple statements. Not from me, of course. I just stayed across the road. And then once the police had, you know, arrived and got out of the cars and started talking to everyone, I had to get home because I was meeting Sarah at home from the back of a Alton Towers trip for the business meeting. So I just walked home because my heels were killing. I did 20,000 steps. I was just battered. So I got up and I walked home. And um, that was the end of it. But what an adventure. Fair play to this woman. I mean, if we could all be so calm and brave... And willing to help other people, as this woman was. We'd all be better off, you know. And speaking of people who were calm and brave, uh, we finish today's podcast with uh, something of an unplanned, but certainly heartfelt obituary to my friend. My dear friend who stayed in this house, who is, you know, I've gone out for lunches with, who I've had many phone calls and messages with, whose work I've admired for years and years and years, been a friend and a fan of, uh, lectured in my kitchen before he stayed over at the house, been to events that him and his wife have put on. You know, really, I fucking love this dude. But my dear friend, the magician, Tom Peterson, the amazing guy from uh, Minnesota, Living lived in Birmingham and then him and his wife Annabelle moved to LA, sadly passed away today. And it's so shitty. He had the same kind of brain tumour 
incredibly rare brain tumour that Max Maven had, a glioblastoma. It's a cancerous brain tumour, and he had one. And he tried all sorts of different treatment, and there was a point when things were looking pretty good, and we were going to go and visit them in February to do the Magic Castle, and then he got really ill, and he stopped doing the treatment that he was doing. He was doing, like, an electro, sort of. He had this cap that he used to wear that had these electrodes in, and basically... um was supposed to shrink the the tumour. But unfortunately, he's basically been bedbound for the last sort of couple of months, really. And his wife, Annabelle, has looked after him in a way that I don't know many of us would have the strength or the ability to do. She has really been his caregiver in the most... I wrote on the thing today when she posted that he'd sadly passed in the middle of the night. Um, Thank you for teaching us all what love is because that's the only way I can describe it to be able to care for someone with in the way that she did and to read amazing messages people were sending about him to him and have the strength to persevere is remarkable so tribute to Annabelle for being amazing and you know all the love in the world to my dear friend Tom sadly no longer with us tom peterson the amazing guy go look him up on youtube his videos will make you laugh he's a brilliant magician he was a lovely man and i loved him dearly and sadly he's no longer with us okay so there was a brief gap there for me but it wouldn't have been there for you but i hit exactly an hour on that moment and while i was waiting for the first part of the podcast to upload i decided to look through my messages with tom and just um read some of the previous correspondence that we'd had. And um, a lot of it really made me laugh, but it made me sad to think that we won't get to talk again. But, you know, gosh, he was a funny guy. <laughs> oh, it's changed my mood a bit, that reading those messages. Um, in a good way, though, you know, that's... It's good to read that <coughs> and to see the ways that we made each other laugh. He's a good dude. So anyway, that's basically going to be the end of the podcast. Uh, rest in peace to my dear, wonderful friend, the amazing guy, Tom Peterson. I had to give it a mention today because it happened today. And so, you know, still a little bit shocked, really. But um, that's this week's podcast. I've done it on the day that I said I would, Wednesday, the 8th of March. And I will try and do it again next Wednesday. Should be all right. I'll actually be gigging. I'll be touring again next week. And I'll be sort of in a, in a rhythm of doing gigs and getting up and filling my day and then going and doing the show and coming back at night and but a lot of weekends off, so that's good. So I'm looking forward to getting a bit of normality. And also, next week, I'll get to tell you about what my West End debut was like. How very exciting. Right, I'm going. Sarah's about to come up to bed, I think, and with a cup of tea, which is exciting. Right, much love, friends. Speak to you all next week. Catch you soon.